Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can a legitimate paranormal investigation be carried out on the air? Do weird things really happen on the set? Are progressive paranormal theories and methods finally catching on in Hollywood or wherever? Hello and welcome to the 885th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WON, AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live and on TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those media-mystic questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we bring you two distinguished guests on a familiar subject. And if you'd like to join us on the air, uh, call us at 401-766-1240. That's from anywhere. Or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com or get to us via various social media platforms. Doug Hychek is a wildlife researcher, technology inventor, and has had a very successful national television career spanning over 30 years. His accomplishments are also many in the scientific world. His firsts include building the camera system that filmed the first free-swimming giant squid well over 54 feet long, living in its natural habitat. That must have been uh, kind of tangled up. Doug was a uh, producer for the long-running hit TV series Monster Quest for the History Channel. Before this, he produced many documentaries and other TV series for Animal Planet, Discovery Channel, Discovery Health, TLC, OLN, NBC, CBS, PBS, and what Stan Friedman would have called all those alphabet soup places. In July of last year, he co-authored a scientific paper in the Journal of Animals on the birth of black bears and their care. I, you, you're thinking of getting a black bear, Ben. I don't know. Talk to, talk to Doug first. Hey, you know, exotic pets, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, not a calling I feel called to. <laughs> well, all right. Well, Doug lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Joel Sturgis has worked in radio since the age of 16, same as Ben, starting his career at a local AM radio station in the North Woods of Minnesota. He has since worked for large and successful radio networks such as Westwood One, CBS Radio, and iHeartRadio. Joel has found his broadcasting niche in the subject of high strangeness. He is also a researcher of the paranormal. Joel is equally comfortable hunting for ghosts, searching for Bigfoot, and gazing into the night sky looking for extraterrestrial life. Joel brings his passion and knowledge of the strange and unusual to untold radio AM. So, Joel Sturgis and Doug Hycheck, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you for having us. We're really excited. Thanks. It's great to have you guys here. So I guess we'll just hop right into it. Uh, first of all, how did you two team up on Untold Radio, and have you worked together on paranormal cases, Doug? Hey, um, I met Joel at a Bigfoot conference, and literally, I had never met Joel, never talked to Joel. We hadn't, still haven't done any investigations together, but he just approached me and said, "Hey, do you want to do a radio show?" And that's what happened. And of course, I thought about it for what. Ten seconds, Joel? Yeah, it was like ten seconds. Ten seconds. I gave it a good... Yeah. You made me sweat. Offering. Just that one. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, it's actually kind of what I do because I love, you know, just talking about Bigfoot and the paranormal science. And uh, me and Joel hit it off. And I, I got, I think we spent three days just talking and telling stories. And next thing you know, now we're doing a radio show. Cool. Joel, uh, what's your take on the subject? What's your side of the story? Well, um, a little bit about me. I, I mean, as far as paranormal goes, I've been doing this since 92, 
in the paranormal. Uh, really, it, I, it's a weird story to tell you guys later on about. I talked to a dead guy for ten minutes, and you guys could we can get into that a little bit. But really, my story is is I've had a fascination with the paranormal, like everybody else. You know, started with in search of and sightings and that kind of stuff. I grew really grew up on it, and. Always had a deep interest in it. And then, of course, Bigfoot is my newest of the paranormal fascinations. And mainly because I had a brush with a Bigfoot. And it left me wondering what I'd seen or what I'd dealt with. And I reached out to a well-known research team in our state. And then that brought me basically to the event where I met Doug. And so... I asked him, we really hit it off, and I asked him, you know, hey, do you do any radio? And he says, well, yeah. And I said, do you, you know, what would you like to do in radio? Like to host a show. And here we are. We started Untold Radio in October, and it has just been going crazy ever since. It's been one of the strangest, wildest, fun rides in radio <laughs> I've ever been a part of. Yeah, it is It is really amazing, and I enjoyed being on it uh few months ago was it's where we got to know each other starting to so uh well let's before we get to listener questions what do you feel the two of you is the state of let's say paranormal tv at this point now i'll give you a little background uh before you answer the question uh we have been in we were involved in a project uh for a certain channel and all the executives thought it was great they wanted to take our um bizarre sort of it was what we call the progressive paranormal theories and methods and for the first time put them on tv you know multiverse instead of dead people that kind of thing but the honcho at the channel said wait a minute i want my ghosts to be ghosts and my demons to be demons and that sank the project at least for that channel so is that the current state of paranormal even reality tv does they don't want necessarily authenticity or new thought they want same old same old and people screaming and running out of houses what's your take on that am i wrong doug you want to feel that first i mean to me um people haven't even gotten used to the paranormal let alone combining you know the paranormal which are you know really old theories but being proven out by researchers um so no i i really do think um they're interested in just a ufo show just a go show just a bigfoot show but i think you know it'll change like anything because the networks are pretty flooded um with these i, I kind of call them copycat shows because they're all very very similar okay all right. well, I guess the the argument I suppose would be that the uh, the formula is familiar. It's easy to catch on to. Now, if that's if you know, let's say that's the hypothesis, would you say that that's accurate? That the formula is kind of what makes the show. Yeah, yeah, the formula has a lot to do with it, Ben. Um, if you if you think about um, you know television, it's extremely based on formula. And this thing of combining the all the different paranormal aspects would be a whole new formula that they haven't invented yet. They don't know if it would work. I think it would work fine, but you know, it's it's kind of a risk. I mean, you're talking millions of dollars yeah. of an investment, and if the show fails, it leaves egg on the executive that green, you know, that gave it the green light. Mm-hmm. All right, Joel, what are your thoughts? 
I see, I'm going to come on a different approach. I'm going to come more as the consumer, as the investigator. Because I don't know, like Doug, I'm not really well-versed in TV. I could tell you all day about radio and radio formula and stuff like that, but not television. Really, in my opinion, as an investigator, I don't see a ton of value in it. I mean, I understand it's for entertainment, but what they should do is put a big for entertainment purposes only yeah, disclaimer yeah. in front of it. You know, you know because uh, I would say... Most of the new investigators post-2004 used Ghost Hunters as a field training guide, right? And, and, and it was never meant to be so. It was meant to be entertainment. It was supposed to be fun. So it's become its own monster of industry where it's diluted itself to the point where it's a shell of its former self. In the early days, it was interesting. It was fun. It was something new. Hadn't been done before. Now it's so glut with different shows that it's basically laughable in a lot of ways yeah and, and it also degrades the field i mean you're you're looking at people that are screaming yelling uh going nuts really stuff that the average respectful investigator does not do and you have <laughs> yeah, a guy going right. scratch me scratch me bring it bro and then running <laughs> out of the house so i mean on my end of it as a consumer of paranormal media i, I really believe it's it's taken a a, a pretty far turned down as far as quality goes yeah i guess that's that's fair um i i had the 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 fortune of uh when i was in college i took a took a really interesting course on media criticism although it was inaccurate uh like most of the classes i took the title was should have been medium criticism as in you know the med- the medium is kind of the message right so you know the the sort of idea was that the medium kind of dictates how someone consumes it right so in this instance, you know, we have these really, you know, kind of sens- sensational shows that kind of focus around the the sort of like extreme experience, you know, extreme paranormal kind of stuff, right? So, you know, that kind of being said, um, do you believe that it's TV's just not a good medium for it? And if so, what is what is the best medium that you can see to kind of have a discourse about the paranormal and sort of a better way to kind of show the experience. I, I think TV is a perfect medium for it. I mean, look at Leonard Nimoy with In Search Of. Look mm-hmm. at other shows that came before them that that did it very successfully and very tastefully. Uh, I, I, I think that the ramping up the shock factor and having to put as many out of these shows, because let's just face it, they're cheap to put together. Mm, yeah. you know, they're, they're very cheap to put together. Is, and uh, I, I think it's the quality, not the medium, because I think the medium is very viable. But I think the quality of some of the programming is suffering. But not mediums very works very well for it. And it could, under the right circumstances, uh, it could be a very powerful medium if they choose to maybe go in a more of a, I don't want to call it a serious direction, but more of a, a, a investigator-centric direction. Okay. Uh, Doug, thoughts? Well, um, of course, you guys are addressing pretty much ghost shows. And where my experience is, is in like cryptozoology, things that may not be even paranormal. You know, we don't know. Um, and so, to be honest, I won't even watch the ghost shows because to me they are laughable. Mm-hmm. They're not really applying... Um, Anything but a lot of drama that seems kind of, uh, you know, contrived and whatnot. But I would still love to see a show 
that addresses the paranormal and addresses all this using less drama, a little more science, um, a little drier but a little deeper. It's kind of shallow. Okay. Doug, having mentioned the cryptid scene, I think you've made a perfect transition into our first uh, listener question. Uh, we have a very uh, uh, a very uh, nice listener in Bogota, Colombia, who sends in... I'm trying not to use a dog-like... Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're trying to fumble yeah, with fa- the words. Loyal or faithful. Uh, trying to um, always uh, include his excellent questions. And uh, Ben, if you'd uh, take it away, Peter from Bogota has a question or two. Indeed. Uh, so Peter writes to us, uh, first, please ask Doug and Joel if anyone has ever submitted uh, Freedom of Information Acts uh, or Freedom of Act requests on Bigfoot or other cryptid cases? And, if so, uh, were there any results? Sure, I mean, I can answer that. Um, There was recently, um, somebody did a FOIA request on Bigfoot, and all they ended up getting was the FBI testing some Bigfoot hairs. Um, Peter Byrne, I believe, was involved in that. He was mentioned in the report and that they had come back, you know, bear hairs or whatever. So what came back was extremely uh, little. I would imagine there's a ton more. I, I just, I couldn't imagine there not being. But yeah. that's what came back and um, someone's going to have to pursue it more. But I've never been a FOIA guy because they're, they're just, you're never going to get anything that's just like, oh my God. I agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yep. If I might weigh in really quickly, yeah, every time I've done a FOIA request, it gets hit by the redaction bug pretty heavily yeah, anyway. Right. Mm, so yeah. there isn't really much substance there to really go off of. Yeah, it's like 90% redaction, 10% content. Yeah. Okay, uh, and there's a second question from Peter. Indeed there is, and the question is, has anyone discovered a Bigfoot counterpart uh, to Project Blue Book, which is actually, that's kind of an interesting question. It never occurred to me before. I, I mean, there's nothing like that that I know of. Um, that would be amazing if there was. But um, no one has, has ever started that. No one's ever tried to retrieve any type of files like that. And there's never been a government project, you know, to research Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Although I think it's needed, mainly because... These reports are never going to stop coming in. Like the UFO reports, it's fueled every day, every day. And you would think that at some point, some government agency would say, hey, this isn't going to go away. We need to address it and even maybe even debunk it, you know, which could be their goal. But they have not even addressed it. Well, we we, uh, got into some of this when I was on your show, but the... The fact that we were running into the military or something that seemed like the military every time we would investigate a flap case, as we call it, uh, all sorts of uh, seemingly unrelated paranormal phenomena, at least that were not traditionally associated with one another, taking place in close, close quarters in an area of perhaps even a few hundred square miles. We would always run into some sort of armed group uh, and some sort of um, old farm or something that seemed to be being used as a facility of some kind, research facility of some kind, sometimes more obviously than others. And so um, that has led us to believe that all areas of the paranormal are subject to secrecy that is often only attributed to UFOs. What say you? Well, I can make one comment before Joel, and that is um, the money that uh, came out of the ATIP program went to 
Bob Bigelow, and of course I've heard rumors that most of that money was used for Skinwalker Ranch research, yeah, mm-hmm. which would have included the paranormal, Bigfoot, you know, ghost lights, orbs, mutilations, um, God knows. And so that's probably the closest that I've ever heard about government funding research. Now, whether the truth will ever come out on what that money was used for, you know, I think we all were under the um, impression that that money was being used to research um, unknown metals. But I've heard rumors that that's not the case. Yeah, me too. Joel? And how, well, my, my question or should my statement would be how much of this research money comes from like the black, you know, black stuff, you know what I mean? Where yeah. they don't tell you where the money is going outright. So, I mean, there's been a lot of government interest in UFOs. That's well documented. But it makes you wonder if the funding is happening. Where is it? Is it coming from a black budget that isn't really pervy to us at all? Which could absolutely be the case. They were investigating, the government was investigating at one point uh, using the men that stare at goats, and that came from a black budget. Mm. So at that point, they were they were deeply looking at psychic phenomena and, of course, UFO phenomena. And that's where I would suspect the funding would come from if they were doing that. Well, also, there's the, the notion of private funding. Uh, Eisenhower wasn't kidding when he used the term military-industrial complex. Uh, industry has its, its little pause in all of this, I think, because wouldn't we love not only to weaponize the paranormal, we'd love to be able to use the principles of the multiverse, you know, if that's what it's about, and if, if we're correct in that theory, uh, to transport cargo, you know, eliminating ships or polluting airplanes or anything of that. I mean, all these principles may be of great interest uh, to the private sector as well, so that's just one thing to think about. Um, any other thoughts on that, Ben? Well, I I, um, I I think it's really interesting. It's it's vaguely related, um, maybe, and it's it, it mostly has to do with um, you know, missing persons reports in uh, you know in national parks and places like that, and also Bigfoot sightings. There's all these very odd links to Bigfoot sightings and missing persons reports almost concurrently. In, in national parks. Now, there's there's another argument that we've made um, with this thing called the Bouger anomaly, which essentially is, you know, for for those who've who've, who've never heard us talk about it, is um, a geo almost a geographical, um, basically oh, it's a ge- geological geological geez, geez. Um, so it's a geological anomaly, a gravity anomaly, right? Um, where you know the closer to the center of the Earth you get, the lighter gravity gets, and it has something. It also has something to do with fossil fuels and and all of that. But we found in places where there's um, you know flap areas that we've we've been investigating over the years, the Bouger anomaly is present. And if you look at a map, and you can you can very easily Google any of these maps and find like geological surveys and whatnot of these areas. And interestingly enough, they happen to be where most of these missing persons reports are, and Bigfoot sightings and UFO sightings, places like Mount Shasta and all, all sorts of areas like that. And my, my question is mostly, have you have you explored this link between Bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings, and these missing persons reports? Well, I can take a quick stab here, Ben. Um, I have been looking at the magnetic anomaly map, and they correlate amazingly with Bigfoot sightings. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, cor- you know, coordinate with UFO activity. Is it a coincidence? I don't know. 
But I find it really, really interesting that the magnetic anomaly map that the government has put out um, is is really an amazing map. You can almost lay it on a sighting map, and it matches really well. But on the other coin, a skeptic might say, well, the magnetic anomalies are where there's a lot of water and blah, blah, blah. And, of course, Bigfoot sightings happen, you know, mainly near water. Which is also a, you know, a very interesting point that sightings happen, seem to happen mainly 500 yards from water. Um, so there's just so many things that we have not explored. But the problem is how do you connect them in a way besides just anecdotal coincidence? Mm, yeah, that's true. That's the problem. How do you prove it? Yeah, and then what constitutes proof? Right, right exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm right there with Doug. I mean, what constitutes proof? We're looking at all these different anomalies. We had a, a good friend of ours on the show recently, David Polites, on. Oh yeah, and he, yeah. of course, missing four one one. Sure. And we <laughs> went deep. We did. We did the deep dive into this, and people are disappearing. And, and there are some hints of Bigfoot activity, but there's also some hints of just gone, like blink and they're gone. Uh, one guy disappeared 300 yards from his hunting party and they have no idea where he went and nothing was ever found i think the only thing they ever found was his rifle so it's really up to speculation of what's taking these people but one thing's for sure there is a missing persons problem especially in the state parks national parks Mm. to the point to where they're very resistant when i say they i mean some of the powers that be are resistant to even talk about the department of interior does not want to talk about missing persons Hmm. It's very hard to get them to talk about that. Wanted to get into your own personal uh, paranormal experiences, but maybe we can at least take up to the break to continue talking about the the disappearances. Because uh, I, I find it very fascinating. Um, I've interviewed people who, well, at least by, by the end of the 1970s, I was running into you know the ghosts of buildings. You know, they weren't there the next day, or people seeing ghosts of themselves, or things that seemed far more like by location uh, and or something else uh, other than dead people. So uh, I, I don't know what, what the relationship with the disappearing people in, in the uh, parks have been, but, but cases certainly are going up. Do you think they really are going up, or it's just the information flow on the Internet where there's more information, uh, correct or incorrect? Well, I I personally think that the information has been you know, not easy to get on all this. So I think we're going to see a big, you know, a big peak, and I think at some point it will plateau here in modern times. So I don't necessarily think it's increasing, but, um, you know, in the cases, once again, of missing people in forested areas are extremely odd. The patterns are odd. The um, uh, Finally, some law enforcement people are, you know, starting to talk a bit saying, yeah, we found this guy's clothes, and it's as if they just dropped off his body, you know. Yeah. There's starting to be just a little bit of leaks and cracks in some of um, some of the rescue people and some of the law enforcement. And, you know, once again, it's, you know, we're looking up a real challenge to try to get any further as to what's causing it, who's doing it, what's doing it. And most likely, in my opinion, it's a whole bunch of factors. You know, it could be all of the above. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Joel, any further thoughts on that? I think we're more aware, like Doug had said. 
I think information is is everywhere, you know, now, uh, not only by, you know, officials, but the everyday citizen with the technology that's at our fingertips now. We can report things quicker, uh, more thoroughly, or as it's happening. I'm not, I don't know, I don't, I don't know enough to speak to an uptick on it, but it's definitely better reported than it used to be. Mm, okay. All right. Well, there we are. Why don't we take our break a little early, our mid-show break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our terrific guests today, Doug Hycheck and Joel Sturgis. We'll be right back to continue our conversation, so don't go anywhere. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM. And let's get back to our conversation with with these greats of the media and the paranormal, Joel Sturgis and Doug Hycheck. So, well, let's get into, gentlemen, your own personal paranormal experiences, whether on set or off set or or whenever they have occurred, uh, perhaps in chronological order. Uh, Joel, you want to start? Sure. Uh the strangest thing that ever happened to me is working at a country music station, Dallas, Texas. And it was a small FM, you know, country music, of course, being the area. And I was working night shift. And the guy, uh, every Sunday morning that would come in behind me, his name was Roy. And everyone called him Cowboy Roy because he was actually a real, at that time, or before he started radio, a real cowboy. He'd do <laughs> cattle drives from Kansas to Texas to into Mexico. I mean, he really lived a life on the trail. And his show was called On the Trail with Cowboy Roy. And he'd play the old, you know, the old standards, you know, Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a Sunday morning. It was uh, early in spring, and, and I'm working, wrapping up. And about 10 minutes before his 20, about ten minutes before his shift, every Sunday morning, he'd come up. And he'd go into the break room, which was adjoining to the studio, because you'd have to walk in some stairs, get into the studio area, and then go in the break room. And every Sunday, we I go in there, I get I get my set wrapped up, I get enough songs to carry me over, so he could get into his studio and get settled in. And I'd always go talk with him, just hey Roy, how you doing? You know, he always had the greatest stories about either being a cattle driver or doing this or doing that. Just just a lot of fun to talk to. And that year, the Texas Rangers were doing great in baseball. He was a big baseball aficionado. And he was telling me, hey, the Rangers got a real shot. This could be great. And he's drinking a cup of coffee, and we're talking. And he crushes his cup of coffee, throws it into the you know, the wastebasket. And, and he says, well, i got to get on the air. You know, time to hit the trail. So he does that. And I says, all right, come, all right, Roy, you have a good one. So I get on stairs, and I'm tired at this point. I mean, I've been up all night playing music I don't really like. And not that <laughs> there's anything inherently wrong in country music. But for me, personally, it just wasn't my cup of tea. As I made it downstairs into what our sales area, where radio sales had happened, to grab my jacket and leave, our general manager was standing there. Dennis never showed up on the weekends. Never. Ne- the place would have to be on fire for him to want to show up on the weekends. <laughs> and I saw him standing there, and I said, Dennis, what, what, what brings you here? And, and we're talking a little bit. He says, did you hear the news? 
And I said, well, what news is that? I've been working all night, and so I haven't heard anything station-wise. Yeah, Roy died last night. I'm here to cover a shift. I just want to let you know that. He passed away, and I'm here to cover until your replacement. And I, my jaw hit the floor. I mean, I was just godsmacked, white as a ghost, pardon the pun. Mm. <laughs> and I, I, I thought he was messing with me because he was sometimes could be a trickster dentist, could be. So, of course, I said, no, that's a horrible joke. He's upstairs, and I'll take you up there, and I'll show you. So we went upstairs, and he was gone. No Cowboy Roy. Wow. And, wow. and Dennis looks at me, and he says, you know, you've been working a lot of midnights. Maybe you should take a couple of days off relax and uh just go home for a couple days we, we have this covered and so but uh i remember going in the break room with him and the styrofoam cup that he was drinking on was crushed and in the trash can just like i remember mm-hmm. huh. so it wasn't just me imagining it being tired or anything it really happened it really happened and so, and so we talked for about 10 minutes that me and me and roy so would you say dead person or time slip I don't know. I really wish I had a better answer for yeah. it. Um, I, I, did he die and not realize he died and was going about his life? Or or what was going on? All I know is the point when I saw him, because he died, this was roughly 6 a.m. He died, according to the coroner's report that I questioned on, at 2.30 a.m. around there of a, of a heart attack and his sleep. Or maybe you were the so, one who crossed over. Uh, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean, I'm I'm up for any kind of discussion about what I ran into. Yeah. And, and then of course after that, I get done my shift, going, "Oh boys, Roy gonna show up." Man, now I know he's dead. I don't, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Having the real jitters, you know, is he gonna show? What would I say if he did? But he never did show up again. Wow, Doug, can you top that? Um, no, yeah, maybe in some ways. Um, so my my first time I had my world, you know, kind of shaken, where I knew everything wasn't quite just what you see, was at 10 years old, um, I was building a car model, had to use the restroom, ran to our one bathroom in our home, knocked on the door because it was closed and locked. A man's voice, who I assumed was my dad, said, I'll be out in a minute. And the door clicked you know the lock unclicked and the door swung open there was nobody in there (laughs) and of course i ran around the corner ran downstairs fell actually fell down the stairs because i heard my family was down there and everybody was downstairs and from that moment on i went you know this is kind of a it was a life-changing moment certainly at that point got interested in the paranormal so flash forward to like even you know current times um obviously i've had some run-ins with um you know some pretty crazy bigfoot activity but um we were out give you an example we're out laying on our deck in the sun me and a vet beautiful day sunny day and all of a sudden yvette starts screaming and i'm looking at her and she's pointing, and I turn my head slow, and there's a black, unidentified object, like an orb. Daytime. This is in the middle of the daytime. And it's appears to be breathing. <laughs> 
and it's got kind of a textured skin on it, and it's um, changing it from what I can see into kind of a triangle and then a circle and then kind of an oval. And I reach for my camera, which was sitting on a, on a little um, uh, stand right next to me, and I reach for my phone, slowly got it on. you know. And I'm thinking this thing's alive. You know, I don't want to startle it. Mm-hmm. And I turn my cell phone on, and as soon as I swung my camera on, the thing darted up to the clouds. And I did get footage of it. Um, and, it, you know, even the footage I have is amazing. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Mm. Well, that night, we were in the garage. We were watching TV. I've got my garage kind of remodeled like a house. And we're out there watching TV, and there was a yellow light flashing on the wall. And I said to a vet, I said, why is there a tow truck in our driveway? Because the lights were, you know, were coming through the uh, opaque windows, these yellow lights. Whoa. And um, the uh, lights were just kept flashing, and she goes, well, open the garage door. So I opened the garage door, and there was no truck, no tow truck. So I shut the door, and within seconds after I shut the door, her two cats started just screaming like they were going to kill each other. I'd never heard these two cats scream like this. And, of course, now we're running downstairs to see what's going on with these cats, and they're just looking at us. We go back upstairs, sit down. We're, we're talking about what just all went down, and all of a sudden we hear a whistling noise. And we hear this whistling noise, and something thuds on the roof, loud. Now we're hearing running <laughs> from left to right on the roof. And we're just, you know, this is all happening so quick, guys, that we don't even know how to process it. And so then the running quits, and Yvette is like, open the garage door. I said, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not opening that garage door. And then everything kind of went back, to, you know, nothing happened after that. The next morning, it gets weirder. The next morning, I open the garage door to investigate. Look at the roof, because something really hit our roof hard. And I, I walk out there, and I notice there is like a white, I only can call it vomit, all over my car, which had been washed the day before. And it looked like something had eaten sawdust and digested it partially and then thrown it up all over my car. It was even embedded into my grill of my car. And it was all over. And, of course, I took a lot of photos immediately went and got a baggie, scraped in the material into a baggie, called my friend Alan Sibizar at AW Research Labs and said, I need this, yeah, I told him the whole story, need this stuff analyzed. I called um, a guy at my office to come pick it up to get it mailed off to Alan. Joe gets here, and I had set everything in this spot on my daughter's little electric ATV on the running board. And he's like, it's not here. And I said, what do you mean it's not there? They just put it there 10 minutes ago. And we never found it again. That's, wow. that's, that's one of my stories. Yeah. That, why does that, that says Mothman to me. It was, it's some of the uh, phenomena that occurred in the sixties in the Ohio Valley, yeah, uh, particularly the running on the roof and that sort of thing. Mm. Just reminds me of it. It's just, you know, when things happen, you just expect a normal day, right? You don't want these things to happen, but no. they do. You just you see it. Um, it forever 
really messes with your head. I mean, to this day, that has forms, I would say, of, of PTSD because we used to go outside on the deck at night constantly, and now she's a little uh, hesitant. You know, I have mm. to twist her arm to get outside yeah. at night because of that that evening. Well, uh, fellas, on that note, uh, we have a question from another listener. Not not just a listener, but uh, it's Rick Eno. How many Enos can sit on the head of a pin? Uh, who is our, our, uh, one of our show guest co-hosts and uh, our Northern California show reporter. Ben, if you would do the honor. Uh, yes, uh, from the illustrious Rick writing to us. Gentlemen, uh, there was a FOIA uh, dropped a few weeks ago on the CIA research uh, recovered uh, alien technology. What's your take on that? Is it actually helpful? Also, do you think we will ever get actual disclosure or some watered-down version which will lead to nothing? Okay, we'll start with Joel. I think it's good. I mean, disclosure. I mean, they're they're making a se- they want to put it out there like they're making an honest attempt at disclosure with uh, the the was a tic tac video and and things like that. But I don't believe that we're going to see true disclosure anytime soon. That's just my opinion. But as far as the new uh, reports they're dropping from the CIA, yeah, that was also you can find all that stuff on the CIA website also that deals with everything you'd want to know about ufos they're starting to release that because of uh was a marco rubio's legislation in the last stimulus package they're starting to release more and more onto the uh website by the way for all your listeners and you can read all that but the technology i kind of took a peek at that same FOIA that they posted and you it didn't say a ton i mean it said some things but nothing groundbreaking not yet yeah, I think we're pretty far away from an actual aha moment. You no, know, no, that I, we're I, I, to, you know. I certainly agree with that. Uh, okay, Doug, do you want to take a shot at that one? Yeah, I mean, um, as far as disclosure goes, I really do think everything is is broken up into too many compartments because all you're going to ever get is disclosure from one little department. Exactly. You're never going to get it from the main that somebody's going to go and gather it from all these agencies. Um, the government is just too big. One agency doesn't know what the other agency has. Absolutely they, right. Yeah. So there can only be disclosure from one agency, and that's going to be redacted. And, yes, it's very refreshing to finally have the government say, yes, that little bit of footage is real, you know, or, or or it's authentic, it's not hoaxed. And, you know, we know this, we know that, but it's it's still, it's got to be just the, just a tiny prick of what yeah. they, you know, yeah, just I, prick. I know, uh, just to butt in here quick, I think disclosure is going to come from us before the government. I, I think the, the amateur researchers will be putting out way better information than the government ever wants to put out. Yeah. So I think ultimately it's going to be the man on the street. They'll blow the whistle and do the disclosure. I couldn't agree more. We're the disclosure. Right. I yeah. think, you know. Uh, it, it's true. Uh, ben and I have been on a lot of panels, and this always comes up at, at conferences. And, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I think it's the disclosure this year. And they'll get to me, and I'll say, all right, audience, show of hands. Who believes what the government says? Everybody groans. And uh, I said, you know, it's, it, there is no the government. It, it, it's, it's a fragmented turf battle kind of a thing between the, the military, different departments. You know, just just as uh, as uh, Joel, as uh, well, both of you have said. Uh, so, yeah, I certainly agree. So, uh, 
Thank you, Rick, for uh, writing in. So uh, <clears throat> why don't we continue with your own personal paranormal experiences? What, what, are, the, what are the most recent ones that have really uh, moved you or caused you to uh, kind of do double takes? Uh, we'll start with, um, we'll start with Joel. Sure. Uh, let's see. I saw Bigfoot, and that was about five years ago. Uh, well, I, I can't say I saw it dead on. I was hunting in the northern Minnesota in a pretty dense foliage, and I was uh, camping at a reservoir where there's a big, you know, uh, it was October, so it was closed, and you could go in there and camp overnight. And it, it was a big reservoir, federal campsite, and I am uh, just sitting there next to campfire, Really minding my own business, not even thinking about anything paranormal at all. Not even crossing my mind. I was more worried about moose hunting than I was about Bigfoot at that moment. <laughs> and, I know I'd be more first, worried about the moose. Yeah, right, right. And, and the first thing that struck me was it wasn't the Bigfoot itself, but the smell that I was smelling. It almost smelled like someone that hadn't showered in about 10 years with some other scents, you know, almost like a skunk scent right along with it. That hit me right away, and it made me, be, even before I realized I was being watched, that kind of hit my senses first. And I started looking around, and through the trees I could see a black mass, uh, big, I mean, you know, I would say about eight feet tall, staring at me. And I could see its eye shine, though. It was close enough for, to the fire that I could actually see its eye shine. And so, and this is pretty damn tall. Excuse my language. This is pretty darn tall. It yeah. was, I would say, about eight footer. And once I realized what was going on, but the second thing that hit me after the smell was just the panic. Like you would think a guy with a high powered rifle would not be panicking at seeing a Bigfoot. I was a baby. I was scared. I, I had anxiety like I had never experienced in my life. I I was I didn't know what to do. It was almost like a scared rabbit syndrome. I ended up getting into my truck, locking all the doors, and staying there all night, clutching my rifle until my friends came to get me the next morning. Oh. And once I got in that truck, I could I didn't dare look, but I could hear things in my campsite being moved around. I mean, the next day come out and things are disheveled from what what there were. There's my coolers were all ransacked. It was it was really a terrifying time for me anyway, uh, and I, I know others since I've had my sighting. Others uh, have talked to me about having that that sense of fear, that sense of dread. Uh, really, it's a super anxiety attack for me anyway. Others have talked about that, and so that's something I've been looking into very heavily. Being a radio guy and understanding sound, infrasound comes to my mind because mm. it almost sounded like a blast of infra. I felt like it. Because I'd been around infrasound doing experiments, and that can give you that feeling. If you don't know it's coming, it really is effective. Mm. And yeah, that, that, that's, that's my your latest domain sighting. If you want to make a comment. Oh, no, it's interesting because we, we've had discussions with Alexander Petikov on this too, that some animals actually can produce infrasound and, you know, essentially scare off any sort of predators. And, and his, his whole thing, which I, I actually tend to agree with, is you know it, it, some some like you know being able to control your scent. I know that some some uh, you know simians are able to be able to do that, and it's you know it's an, it's entirely possible, right? You know, infrasound is is kind of one of those things where you know it can it can really really mess with your head. <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of scary actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, Doug, what uh, what's happened to you lately? 
Oh, gee, okay. Um, the last thing that happened also happened on a beautiful, clear blue day, during the day, which, you know, when things happen during the day, it, I think it has more of an effect on you because you're like, oh, my God, if this is going on in the day, what's going on at night? Mm. So we were just... Um, we live on a on a all electric um, lake where you can only have electric boats, and so we were out fishing all day. Um, had a great day fishing, but both gotten baked in the sun. Coming back to the dock, once again, Evac starts kind of screaming and pointing. You know, what is that? What is that? And of course, I'm trying to dock the boat, and I look, and there are thousands of sparkly, shiny, whitish um, things that are all kind of um, flocked together. And at first I think I'm looking at a big flock of some kind of really weird exotic bird. But, of course, I can see that there's no wings. Um, They're just kind of blobs of balls. And they're going into each other, out of each other. Ten would come out of one. One would go into ten. And they're, they're swarming around our roof, the trees, um, the neighbor's uh, house. And, of course, I get my camera out and I start filming. And I'm filming from 50 to 100 feet away, all these things swirling around. And I said, Yvette, get your phone out and start filming this too. She gets her phone finally fired up and they start moving off. And eventually they disappear. And we were just stunned. I get the boat docked. We run inside in the darkest part of the house to look at the footage. And my phone won't turn on. And so I'm, uh, plug it in. Doesn't work. Won't turn on. Um, I said, let's go to the sprint store. We hop in the car. We go to the sprint store. And all of a sudden, um, uh, you know, we get there and we, we tell the guys exactly what happened at the sprint store. Said, you gotta get this footage off. And so they go in the back room and they come out 10 minutes, 20 minutes later and they just said, your phone is a brick. They had never even heard that term. And they said, go take it to this guy. Maybe he can get the footage off. He, he had the same conclusion. It's just a brick. And, um, her footage came out fine, but they were farther away. And since we have found numerous people that have got um, evidence or footage exactly like ours, um, it's kind of a sparkly cloud of things that just kind of um, act like a flock of birds, but they're not birds. You can clearly see they're not birds. And there's been um, numerous footage taken all over the country. I don't know what it is. It's really weird. But the weird part is, is right after that, all of our... Um, low voltage things started burning out in our home all the hdmi ports for instance on every tv burned out um security system burned out um you know just all of the uh, low voltage transformers burned out and this happened over a period of like three weeks everything failed so, so um, that's, I, I take it that if that has a uh, blood pressure issues at this point uh, yeah it's really yeah. well we're headed to your house the earliest opportunity Fellas, we're almost out of time, so I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your website, your show, uh, where people can find out more. Uh, Joel, why don't we start with you? Yeah, you can find out more about, of course, is untoldradioam.com. There's all of our archives. You can listen to the latest and greatest shows. 
Uh, we're having a lot of fun doing it. I mean, that's one thing about the show is we really enjoy doing it. And, and uh, we're you can find us also on iHeartRadio and anywhere you can download podcasts. There we are. And uh, we have a lot of great guests on the horizon, a lot of cool things coming on the horizon. Look for the website to have camera, more cameras added to it, things like that, different things you can watch. Uh, I think you guys be really pleased. I, I'm, I can't have a better partner in radio than Doug, too, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. He's a oh, great co-host nice. and, and a great uh, radio personality. Great. Go ahead, yeah. Doug. It's a, it's a great show. Uh, Doug, uh, how, about, uh, how about you? Where, where can people find out more? Well, yeah, yeah, just go to the Untold Radio. Uh, I do finally have a Facebook page, so people can get a hold of me on Facebook. Uh, and I know um, the Untold Radio also has a Facebook, and, and so does Joel. Yep. Very good. Uh, what's, what's your next problem? Ben, did you have a question? You, you've been scribbling furiously. I, I always scribble furiously because I come up with thoughts, and then they either get answered or I figure they're not appropriate to ask. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I, like, I always like to try and, and ask like a sort of wrap-up question you know kind of an ambiguous one um and i guess in this case it's you know as time moves forward you know where where do do either of you see the state of paranormal research going Mm, doug you want to cover that one first yeah i mean to me it's going to go into a micro level that's the direction i'm going um for instance Bigfoot footprints, there's sweat pores in those, in those casts. But we need to get into a micro level. We need to get into gas chromatograph um, um, analysis of substances left behind. Better DNA studies. Um, so to me, everything's just going to go smaller. Okay. Interesting. Joel? Right, Joel? Yeah. Yeah, I think that paranormal investigation, as far as uh, spiritual paranormal investigation, I've actually said take a step back to analog lately. I've had more questions from investigators about how analog works and 35-millimeter cameras. I, I, I think we're getting to that point where all the bells and whistles and lights and REM pods and stuff like that, I think people want to get to more of a simple investigation. Uh, where, you know, back in the older days, and, and Paul, you could definitely – you know, attest this with me. Uh, that's all we had. And man, did we yeah. get some great evidence mm. with analog equipment. And uh, and I noticed that with a digital switchover, the evidence isn't as good. If I can, you know, that's the appropriate way to put it. But it's not as good. I mean, at least a 35 millimeter camera, you always have that negative to fall Absolutely. back on. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is what I saw. Here is the negative. It's yep. there. Where digital, anybody can manipulate a picture. I mean, really, you get a Photoshop, you get another program. It doesn't take a whole lot to manipulate that picture. And then analog audio, same thing. You have that magnetic tape. It's not going to lie. It's going to hear what it's going to hear. That's true, yeah. And it's either there or it's not. And and so I've noticed some some investigators, like I said, are going backwards. And I really kind of think a hybrid approach is the way to go, embracing both digital for the convenience, but also the analog for the concrete evidence. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I remember in the in the, in the good days of yore, you'd have the negative. We had a photo yeah. lab we worked with, you know. In the and end, you had a reel to reel recorder, I believe. Yeah. Uh yeah, we were seat of the pants. Uh, yeah, we did. <laughs> 
old tape recorders. And we got reverse EVPs, you know, things that mm. that uh, we would hear but wouldn't record and that sort of thing. It was a very interesting time. So I'm very glad to hear that uh, more of a hybrid approach would be uh, would be kind of in the offing. Well, fellows, we're just about out of time. What a great pleasure to have you. What a great conversation. And uh, we'll stay in touch off the air. And thank you both very much. Indeed. Yeah, uh, Joel Sturgis and Doug Heitchick. Okay, let's uh, move on to our announcements. Okie dokie. And I guess we'll, we'll hop right into the big one, which is uh, Maine has lifted most COVID restrictions. Uh, so we received confirmation the, this week from the organizer, Tom Spitaleri, that the in-person New England Parafest will take place as planned on April 10th and 11th at the uh, Kittery Community Center in Kittery, Maine. Uh, I or we plan to be there both days, uh, but we will do a live broadcast of the show from there on Sunday at noon. Uh, then we're scheduled to speak uh, that afternoon at 3.15. Other speakers will include Shane Searway, Andy Kitt, Dennis Stone, Nomar Slovic, the Connecticut Paranormal Research Team, Kristen Evans, Dave McCullough, uh, Lynn Nickerson, and Tom D'Agostino. You can check that out on Facebook. That's New England Parafest 2021. And we're working hard on our new book, Behind the Paranormal 3, Uneasy Skies. Also contributing will be our colleague Shane Searway, uh, Alexander Petikoff, and... Valerie LaFasso, whom you will hear more about as time goes by. She'll be on the show in a few weeks. The book will also contain the best of our interviews over the years with the greatest researchers in the UFO field, as well as some of our own experiences. Uh, Look for the book released toward the end of this year. And you can check out our current books along with those of our other co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us, along with our uh, 900-plus free recorded shows from our 12-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Now, we've uh, gradually been reloading recorded shows into the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com back to 2009. Uh, we're gonna, we got another year to go back to 2008 and also a bunch of special shows and podcast things of that kind. So there'd be well over a thousand hours of shows available on the site as soon as we can uh, get them back up there after a lot of uh, technical issues from the last few years. Mm. Uh, past shows back to late 2009 are also available on major podcast platforms, uh, mostly uh, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, and more. Uh, there are links to several charities we've adopted on the show, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero. We know all the people who uh, run these uh, these charities, and the money goes where it's supposed to, and you can uh, trust them. We, we, uh, we trust them ourselves. So, Ben, what do we have for next week? So, next week, uh, that's March 14th, slowly but surely, taking our way through March, uh, we have the long-awaited appearance of um, uh, author and researcher Linda Zimmerman on the subject of how animals react to UFOs. Have I can't ever, wait to hear that. that that's... Have we ever had her? We've had her on the show before, right? Oh, she's been on the show many times. Okay, all right. I was, like, I was like, I feel like we've had her on before. <laughs> yeah. And uh, point out that in June, uh, June 20th, exa- to be exact, we will have uh, our official 900th broadcast. Oh, wow. So, yeah, time flies and you're having fun. Yeah. And uh, that's because we, we used to do two shows a week on this station and on CBS. There were two uh, separate shows. So, so we it, cheated. It, it added up. <laughs> well, I don't know if you call it that. So, in any case, uh, that that should really be interesting. We're looking for ideas for that. Uh, we leave you today with an uplifting uh, little thought from 19th century British children's author and the alliterative name 
Richard Henry Hengist Horn. Tis always morning somewhere in the world. It's kind of a nice thought. Yeah, now we got a few few seconds left. All right. Well, yeah, I love that name, Richard Henry Hengist Horn. Um, I know that. Talk about alliterations, huh? You know, you know, you know how I am with alliterations. You not so much. Indeed, and you are. Anyway, I'm Paul Eno, and I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. We shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.